Thanks, Tim. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit, that you would glorify Jesus, that we might see him afresh and follow him anew. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm not a big one for watching uh, TV, but I do like to listen to podcasts, uh, you know, interviews, documentaries, whatever it might be. I listen to them all the time. And it's been interesting um, over this Easter period to see how Easter crops up in different, uh, different podcasts, different people talking. Um, I don't just listen to Christian uh, podcasts, I'll listen to anything, uh, sport, news, current affairs, documentaries, uh, you name it. And there was a couple of uh, conversations that you, I was kind of eavesdropping in on uh, listening to these uh, podcasts. And two things that were said that were really, really struck me uh, about Easter and particularly about thinking about the resurrection. One was a conversation between uh, two guys. It was a political uh, podcast. And in, kind of in passing, they, they mentioned about going to church. And they weren't regular churchgoers. They're not regular churchgoers. But they kind of mentioned about the fact that they thought they should go to church on Easter Sunday. After all, it's the big one, isn't it? It's kind of up there with Christmas, and um, I really do think we could, or we should go, it's a bit difficult rounding up the family, but it would be important for us to go because it's an important uh, festival in the life of the church. You got the sense that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead, or they kind of believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And they wanted to acknowledge that, to, to mark that, uh, but it didn't have any resonance for them. It didn't make any connection with their lives today. Uh, it wasn't kind of uh, relevant for them. Second uh, conversation, or was rather somebody talking, said, uh, talked about the resurrection. He said this, said that the resurrection... Uh, again, not a Christian podcast. So the resurrection for me is kind, of, is kind of on the same level as the question, is there life on other planets? I mean, it's kind of interesting. And I know some people are fascinated by that question. And I know that some scientists spend their whole lives kind of researching that and looking into that and, uh, and dedicated uh, to that question. Uh, but it doesn't really make any difference to me. It's not really significant for me. Some people are obsessed by it. Most people hardly give it a thought. So it was the resurrection of Christ for him. Didn't feel strongly either way. Might watch a documentary about it if there was something on TV. Might enjoy a a conversation with a Christian friend. But but not a live or die issue uh, for him. This morning I want to kind of speak with those two conversations in mind, really. And I want to show just briefly why I think the resurrection is profound, why I think it's powerful, and why I think it's personal. Firstly, why do I think it's profound? I think it's, in, I think it's profound because it's important and it matters. Because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then everything changes. Everything changes with a big E. Everything. Life, the universe, and everything. And everything changes for me and for you in our personal universe. 
Our reading was from John's Gospel, and at the end of uh, that reading, John says why he's written uh, this book. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he is the one who he said he is, and that you might have life in his name. This is the climax of his book. Everything has been leading up to this point. And John says this is the most important thing that you can ever grapple with, that you can ever think about. Because in this event, there is life. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then his words were true. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then he is who he said he is. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then he's uh, the most important person who ever lived. His words are the most important words that were ever said. The things he did were the most important things that were ever done. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then it's a lie. Jesus made incredible claims throughout his life. Shocking claims, which those of us who have been Christians for any length of time uh, can be overly familiar with. They can lose their impact upon us. They were shocking to the hearers of Jesus' day and to those of us who hear them for the first time. They're shocking for us today too. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He said, I am the bread of life. To a man who is paralysed, he said, your sins are forgiven. Who is he to forgive sins? To the thief upon the cross, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Without the resurrection, these are just words. Without the resurrection, these are lies. Some of you know my uh, father died um, a month or so ago, a little, little over that, and uh, was on the palliative care ward and had fantastic treatment. And it, and it struck me that the, here was a group of people who were doing everything for the person who was uh, most dear to me. But the thing that they said time and time again uh, to, to our family, to us who were gathered there uh, supporting my dad, was we will do all that we can to make him comfortable. We will make him comfortable. Jesus says to a man dying upon a cross, a hideous death, not I will make you comfortable, but today you'll be with me in paradise. Who is he to make that promise? One theologian sums up the teaching of Jesus as crown me or kill me. A challenge to those who came and gathered to hear his teaching. Either make me king or kill me for the blasphemy that I'm saying. But you can't remain indifferent to him. In his Easter sermon, the Archbishop of Canterbury said this, The resurrection is an event which, although never experienced before or since, changes everything because it happened. Yet it was not on the list of important dates for me to learn at school. It's not in the politics textbooks 
or that it defines the aims and ends of politics. It's not in the economics lessons, although economics is transformed by it. It's not in the geography courses, though human geography was changed more by this one event than anything that has happened since. It's not on the courses of military academies, although war and peace are judged by it. The resurrection, if it happened, is a profound event, the most profound event. It's also a supremely powerful event. Uh, A few weeks ago we had the boat race. It's one of those things, those uh, sporting events that transcends um, its sport. Uh, a few of us, I imagine, ever go and watch uh, two crews rowing on the Trent. You might do, I don't know, I, I don't. But you might stay in uh, to watch the boat race. You might not go to watch horse racing, but we'll watch the Grand National. You might not follow football, but you'll watch uh, the World Cup. You might not be into tennis, but you'll watch Wimbledon. These events trans- transcend their sport. So I was watching the boat race this year, as I watch it kind of most years, don't particularly uh, support either university, Uh, but I was struck by something that that strikes me every time I see the race, and that's the state of the crews at the end. Both boats row the same course, they travel about the same distance. I'm sure those in those boats train equally hard. They sacrifice for that one kind of moment in their career. And yet as they cross the line, the two crews are completely different. One crew is absolutely broken. They look like they've been rowing for years. They slump in their oars. They sigh. They can't look at each other. They they gasp for breath. That's the crew that loses. The other crew is completely different. They find new energy. They jump into the Thames. They they swim to the shore. They're, They're slapping each other on the back. Their eyes are full of energy. They laugh. They grin. They wave to their friends and their family. They are transformed. The disciples meet the risen Christ and they are transformed. Until they meet him, they're like the losing boat race crew. Their eyes are downcast. They're hiding away in a locked room. It takes all of their strength just to keep going. Their friend Judas has betrayed them. Their saviour Jesus, it seems, has failed them. All is lost. And then the most powerful thing happens. The most powerful thing in the history of the world, the most powerful thing in the history of their lives. They meet the risen Lord and Jesus changes everything. Now their eyes flash with energy. Now they have new life. Now they have new hope. Simon the denier becomes Peter the rock. Thomas the doubter becomes Thomas the apostle. John the deserter becomes John the evangelist. The most powerful thing has happened in history. The most powerful thing has happened in their lives. A profound event, a powerful event, and thirdly, a personal event. And this comes back to those conversations at the start. A personal event. 
Each Easter, as, as part of being a vicar, you find yourself reading through the Easter story again. You go back to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You, you see the story of the events leading up to the cross. You see what happens upon the cross and then you see Jesus uh, rising and, and encountering different people um, after that, the risen Lord. What always strikes me uh, as I go through that process is the personal nature of the resurrection. Mary, Mary Magdalene, who deeply loved Jesus, who became one of his uh, leading followers, a broken woman, goes to an empty tomb. She doesn't know where Jesus is. She thinks that somebody has taken him and Jesus himself comes to her. And he calls her by name, Mary. Peter, who denied him, who turned away at that most uh, important time, Jesus goes and seeks him out. Peter's fishing on the boat and Jesus comes and he prepares a breakfast on the lake shore and he quietly reinstates uh, Peter as one of his followers. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus Discussing all that has happened, leaving Jerusalem, talking about the resurrection, uh, talking about the, the crucifixion, no hope of resurrection, and suddenly there's a stranger walking in their midst. They don't know who he is. He walks beside them, he talks to them about the Messiah, and then in a moment they understand Jesus is with them. Thomas. Unless I see you with my own eyes, unless I place my hands in his wounds, I will not believe. And there is Peter in the room with him, and there uh, Jesus in the room with him, inviting him to come and place his hands in his side. There's something tender about these encounters. There's something intimate about these encounters. If I was a, a director, if I was making a, a film of this, if I had all the budget of, of Hollywood, I, I wouldn't have lots of CGI. I wouldn't have lots of uh, special effects. I'd focus on the details. The tears of Mary... The hesitation of Thomas, the joy and the disbelief of Peter. There's something profoundly personal in the story of the risen Christ. And it has personal implications for each of us. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he was who he said he was. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he is alive. And he is seated in authority in heaven. If Jesus was who he said he was, if Jesus rose from the dead, then he will come again to judge the earth with righteousness. If Jesus was who he says he was, then he calls us to follow him. If Jesus was who he says he was, if he truly rose from the dead, then there is no door he cannot walk through. There's no room he cannot enter in. There's no place he cannot go. There's no life that will not be enriched by his presence. So how do we take hold of this? How does this become real for us? How do we move from this being an event that happened thousands of years ago but has no resonance for us today or something like life on other planets that we can't quite find a connection with? Well, perhaps Thomas helps us here. Perhaps Thomas is a a guide not just to doubting, but also a guide to faith. Perhaps we can learn from the example of Thomas. 
Four things about Thomas. He stuck with the apostles and their testimony. Verse 25, it says, The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. A translation might be, They kept on saying, We have seen the Lord. They kept on uh, telling him. There are lots of places you can find out about the Christian faith. You can watch YouTube videos, you can listen to sermons online, you can read books, you can uh, borrow Christian uh, testimonies, you can talk to Christian friends, you can do all of that stuff. But there's no substitute for sticking with the apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, their eyewitness testimony, their first-hand account, their story of living with and loving and serving Jesus... They help to make this person real. And as we stick with their testimony, so he becomes real for us. The second thing we can do, like Thomas, is that we can see how patient he has been with us. Verse 25, Thomas says, Unless I see with my own eyes, unless I touch with my own hands, I can never believe. And then Jesus is there in the room, and he invites Thomas, look, see, touch, feel. And Thomas is stunned for a moment. question is this, how, how did Jesus know that Thomas had said that? How did Jesus know that that was the precondition? How did Jesus know that that was to, what Thomas needed to do? I don't think there was some secret meeting where the rest of the disciples got together with Jesus and they say, look, we've been talking to Thomas. He just doesn't get it. He said this. There's just one more thing you could do. Next time you see him, do you think you could show him your hands on the side? Do you think you could invite him to, to touch you? We think that will work. I don't imagine the disciples kind of snitching on Thomas. How does Jesus know? He's been there all the time. He's heard what has been said. He's been the unseen guest. Jesus has been there all the time for you as well. Consider how patient he has been with you. The times you've turned away, the times you've wandered off, the times like me, you have forsaken him. There is humility needed for Thomas and there's humility needed for each of us. Consider how patient he has been with you. Thirdly, look at his wounds. Edward Shilito was a free church minister, a Baptist or a Methodist, I'm not sure which. Uh, He was a minister who saw the horrors of the First World War. He was there in the trenches, he saw the barbed wire, he heard the sound of the machine gun, he witnessed uh, the slaughter, he saw the bombs, he smelt the gas. And like many of the men who went through that horror, uh, he sought to make sense of it. And he sought to make sense of it as a Christian uh, minister. And he did what many uh, people did after the war, many of those men, was he wrote poetry And his most famous poem is called The Scars of Jesus. It contains these words. If when the doors are shut, thou drawest near, 
Only reveal those hands that side of thine. We know today what wounds are. Have no fear. Show us thy scars. We know the countersign. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to thy throne. But to our wounds only God's wound can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. In contrast to the gods of other religions, the Christian God, God in Christ, bled and died for his people. He bore the hurt of all humanity's sin. He will hurt as we hurt. And then his scars will remain as a badge of honour, a reminder of his love and sacrifice. We'll have scars of some kind, physical, emotional or spiritual. They cause us pain. They mark us. For some, they define us. What solace to know that God, the compassionate one, has scars too. In the sense of suffering, he's not above us, but he is with us. He's our comrade in the trenches. See his wounds. And finally, the last one is this, drop your conditions. Thomas does not touch Jesus. He realised that he demanded a condition of Jesus. Unless you do this, I will not believe. And yet in his presence, all he can do is declare, my Lord and my God. There's a temptation for all of us to set preconditions on God. To say, well, if you get me through this, then I will. If I pass my exams, then I will follow you. If I'm married before I'm 30, then I'll commit my life to you. If we can conceive a child, then we will honour you. If you can sort out my finances, then I will serve you. If you will change X or Y or Z, then I will follow you. But of course, if you do that, you're making X or Y or Z your ultimate goal. And you're treating Jesus as a means to an end. You're making X or Y or Z your career, your family, your romantic life, whatever it may be. You're making that your God. And these lesser gods will never die for you. They'll never rise again for you. They'll never save you. They can never love you with the depth that Christ loves you. They can never go to hell for you and raise you up to heaven. When it comes to that moment, all Thomas can do is my Lord and my God. And Christ reveals himself to us by his spirit. We can but do the same. The most profound event in history. The most powerful event in history. An event which is deeply personal. Listen to the testimony of the apostles. Lay down your preconditions. 
Stop doubting and believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. For some of us, a gift we're just starting to appreciate and acknowledge. For others, a, a gift we've rejoiced over for many, many years. Lord, wherever we are on our journey with you, we pray that you would move us forward. Uh, draw us to yourself afresh. I was to acknowledge uh, the love that you've shown us in Jesus. Help us to see afresh his wounds, his scars. Strengthen our faith, we pray that we might honour him who has done so much for us. Amen. If the band would like to come back,